Amen. Thank you so much, Paul, Faith, Dennis, Francie, praise team, choir. Didn't the choir sound wonderful? Great job leading us in worship. Let us pray as we begin. Gracious Father, we thank you. Lord, Christ is our hope. He is the anchor for our souls. Lord, I pray that He, we can proclaim that he is our lives. We live only by the grace that's found through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that you might teach us your ways. Lord, I thank you and praise you for this time together. Let us rejoice in who you are and what you are doing. Father, we do not preach ourselves, but, Lord, we preach Christ crucified. Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. He died, was buried, was risen from the grave. And, Lord, we, re- we preach that he reigns even now. Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you are doing through us. That the old man, the old woman that was corrupted by deceitful desires and a deceitful heart is being put away. But now we are walking according to the pattern in which you have created us. You have created us in your image to walk in true righteousness and holiness and purity. Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the bride of Christ. Lord, teach us your ways. Lord, I thank you for all that you are doing in us and through us. Lord, please remind us, Father, when we are tempted to get discouraged, that we are not to lose heart. The minister, the ministry that we have is from you, and it is for you. So, Lord, thank you and praise you for what you are doing in our midst. Lord, I pray that you will show us what it means to walk by the truth. Father, I pray that we will proclaim your Son, Jesus Christ, among the nations. He was believed on in the world and taken up in glory. And Father, we long for his return. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Wanted to let you know what's going on in our family. Well, today particularly is a special day. It's Susanna's birthday. She's turned eight. Actually, we have a three different birthdays today on this very day. So thankful for uh, the opportunity to celebrate life. But our family, uh, not all of our family, Sheena and I are going to be heading to Portland next uh, week. We'll be leaving on uh, Wednesday evening. Going to be heading up there to see Sheena's brother. Many of you know he's been planting a church. He and his wife, Alyssa, they've been up there for five, maybe going on six years now. And so we haven't made it up there to see them. So we're looking forward to seeing them, but also encouraging them and the task and the work there. A very difficult job of planting a church in an area that uh, is definitely unreached. Maybe they want to be unreached for a reason, but uh, it's difficult to share the gospel, share about Christ in that region. So looking forward to being with Bo and Alyssa. Pray for us as we encourage them as we meet with them, and so we're going to be gone, uh, leaving Wednesday, but we'll be back on the 16th. So next Sunday, since I won't be here, Ben Holland will be preaching. Some of you might remember Ben. Ben has preached here a while back. It might be four or five years ago, but he is a pastor over at Grace Community Church. He is going to be preaching from First Peter 5, so I know that you'll be blessed as he shares the word with you next Sunday. But continue to pray for our church as we continue to go through this series We're going to look again this morning at what the Bible has to say about elders. Some have strong opinions, different opinions about what the Bible has to say about elders, whether there should be a plurality of elders or not. Maybe one question, 
but we cannot uh, disagree with the fact that the Bible talks about elders. And so there are definitely several passages. We looked last week at the book of Acts, and I felt like, as I do many weeks, I felt like an auctioneer going through the book of Acts, you know, this passage, that passage, this passage, look at this passage later. And so this week hopefully will not be as quick. I hope you received a handout in your bulletins. Thankful for Shelby and Sadie who placed those diligently in there. But um, that handout will hopefully allow me to go over some areas quicker so that we can spend some time on questions and concerns at the end. So I've titled this message, Qualifications, Questions, and Concerns. We're going to look at passages that you're familiar with, most likely, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, about what Paul says to younger Timothy and to Titus about appointing qualified church leaders that are elders. Paul knows the intensity of ministry. He knows what it's like to care for people. He knows the importance of following Christ's authority. But he also knows the danger of heresy, that is false teaching, creeping into the church. That's one of the reasons, if not the main reason, for appointing a plurality of elders. So there can be strength, so there can be wisdom, so there can be sound teaching amongst this plurality. And so Paul tells Timothy and Titus to appoint elders to avoid the danger of heresy creeping into the church. These are just some of the reasons why elders are important. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the history of elders. When I say history, more recent history of 17th, to 18th, and 19th century history. Because uh, some have wondered, well, I see elders in the book of Acts, but it's a long time since the book of Acts. So we're going to talk about more recent history in congregationally led churches and Baptist churches. But this morning, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's stand together as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So Paul writes these words, and he writes on the instructions for Timothy, but also for the local churches. And it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is the office of elder, pastor, shepherd, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's go ahead, I was going to do this later, but let's go ahead and turn over to Titus chapter 1. That way, that in the back of your mind as we go forward, Titus chapter 1. Again, Paul is the author writing to Titus, encouraging him in the work, in the uh, overwhelming task at hand. And so Paul says clearly in Titus 1 verse 5, 
This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, overseers, shepherds, pastors, same word, in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradicted. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray again quickly. Gracious Father, we're so thankful for your word. I pray that I will teach your word accurately. I will divide the word properly. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are Lord. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are our rock and redeemer. So teach us as the church of God how to apply the word of God. Sanctify us. Make us like Christ. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would draw sinners unto salvation. Lord, help us to understand your word and to apply it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we look at these passages, I hope nobody thought, okay, this is, these are things that only the elder or the overseer has to do. I don't have to be hospitable to people. I don't have to love others. I don't have to do these things. And so, because as you look at these things, you might be thinking, wow, these are kind of common, everyday, ordinary things for those who belong to Christ. That should be a, a given, a natural, that we should not be greedy for gain. We should not be a drunkard. We should not be violent. We should be self-controlled, upright, holy. In fact, if we were to look at Titus 2 and 1 Timothy 2, we see over and over again that older women, older men, younger women, younger men are to be self-controlled. And so none of us should be characterized or qualified as violent, greedy, um, unruly people. But here in this passage, I want us to see these qualifications for the elder, for the pastor, are critical for us to see um, order within the church. Paul writes to Timothy, he writes to Titus, so that they might hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so there might be leaders who are leading and giving a good example. And we're going to go through the qualifications quickly. I know you've probably heard a sermon or two, maybe several, on these passages. And so you have these in your outline there. If you didn't get one, let me know after the service. I can make one for you. But you see the qualifications there. Some say there's 14, 15, 16 different qualifications. I have 15 here. But we see first off that the elder, overseer, must have a desire for the task. This is a noble task. This is a a task that has a God-given calling to lead God's people. Secondly, he must be above reproach. This is the all-embracing qualification. This is, I guess you could say, the umbrella which they all fall underneath. His character and his conduct must be exemplary. He must be known to be someone that has a trustworthy reputation. Third, the husband of one wife. That is, he must be a one-woman man. An elder must be maritally and sexually above reproach. There's so much more that could be said about each of these. And I encourage you, if you have questions, please ask. 
And then number four, a sober-minded man, a person who is stable and is able to use good judgment. And they are discerning. A self-controlled man, as I said before, we're all called to be self-controlled, to be prudent, to use common sense. This is a person who resists pride, but they are humble. A respectable man, this is a person who's self-controlled, orderly, and honorable individual. Hospitable, a person who shows love by sharing one's life. I know I've had a couple people comment on the article I sent out. Maybe it was a week before last by Rosaria Butterfield. If you haven't read that article, I highly, highly encourage you to do so about what it means for the Christian to open your doors, to invite people into your home, to literally share your life. As you're sharing life with one another, what you're doing is you're loving that individual. You're loving your community, your brother, your sister, maybe the person who doesn't know Christ. That's how part of Rosaria's story. So they're to be hospitable. They're to be able to teach. This is a key one here in um, in this passage that differentiates this from the deacon. They're to have a knowledge of the scriptures and they're ready to communicate biblical truth. Not a drunkard. They're not to be addicted to wine or overindulge with wine or strong drink. There's many warning passages about this. They're not to be violent but gentle. They're not to be pugnacious. There's the word for the day. How many of you have used pugnacious in a sentence? I encourage you to try to use that in a sentence during lunch. Maybe uh, maybe you'll impress your waiter or waitress. Um, a person is... I wasn't supposed to put in there, I'm a lover, not a fighter. That was not supposed to be in your outline. It's more of a joke. But um, uh, it made it in there anyway. The person must not be out of control. Not quarrelsome. Again, a peaceable person. Not a lover of money. Greed must not characterize those who seek to be elders. He must manage his household well. The Puritans used to say that the person must shepherd their own little church, their household church, before they shepherd the church of God. Not a new convert. An elder must not be a beginner in the faith. He must be mature and sound in the faith. And then number 15, a man with a good reputation amongst unbelievers. He's well thought of with those outside of the church. So this is just a quick overview of the qualifications of men who are called to the office or to be exemplary, they're to be humble, and they're to be faithful men who seek to know God and to lead God's people. Elders, I don't I don't want you to think what I sometimes think is I go through these passages like, well then, who can stand? You know, who can do this? Okay, Jesus, he's the chief elder, no one else. Well, in a sense, that is true. He is the chief elder, the chief shepherd. He, he is. There are no qualifications around that. But we're not talking about perfect men. We know elders still sin. Um, as I was a part of a church one time, uh, the pastor said, uh, I'm going to sin and you're going to sin against me. I'm going to let you down. You're going to let me down. But as we sin and as we struggle with one another, we should, I mean, I hope he wasn't saying I'm going to do that deliberately, but um, as we sin, we should be quick to repent, quick to seek forgiveness. So elders are known by their pursuit of Christ as they battle against sin. As we talked about in our home discipleship group this past Wednesday night, Paul would say, follow me. But he didn't just say, follow me. He'd say, follow me as I follow Christ. And so no elder should say, this is me, this is my church. But again, even Paul says, we do not commend ourselves. 
So elders are pointing others to Jesus. They are leading the way. They are the ones who are pointing others. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. Elders reflect hearts that have been changed, that have been redeemed, and ready to, again, show others what it looks like to follow Christ. So in Titus chapter 1, we went ahead and read both passages, but in Titus 1, we see clearly, um, go ahead and put that back on the screen there, Brother Jared. On Titus 1, we see clearly this isn't theology on paper. This isn't, I right, check this box, believe these things, but this is reality. This is everyday life. Paul is telling Titus, this is what I want you to do, appoint elders so that there might be what? Order so that you might behave, so that you might carry out the commands of God. Titus is left there to bring things to order. How was this to be accomplished? It wasn't through Robert's Rules of Order. That was a joke. But it was through appointing elders. The elders were to be appointed by Titus. And so here in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, Acts, we see passages where they were called to appoint elders. Elders are to embody godliness among the gathering of believers. This reminded me by something Jay Adams once said. He said, when you discipline yourself for righteousness, you don't have to do it alone. It is God who works in you. All holiness, all righteousness, all godliness is the fruit of the Spirit. So not only is the Spirit leading the elder, but the Spirit is amongst us as we gather to believer, as we gather together to worship. So the, this brings hope for anyone who is united to Christ by faith. The power of the Spirit is the one who can replace sinful habits with righteous ones. For someone who is 8 years old or someone who is 88 years old. I think we have the bases covered this morning. And so the Spirit is the one who is doing the work. The Spirit is the one who is leading in the elders, but also amongst the church. The church, the household of faith, live out their faith as God's called out children who are joy-filled, satisfied, and spirit-directed to obey Christ all for the glory of God. So we see here in Titus 1 that the elders are to stand firm in the faith. They are to hold firm to the trustworthy word, as it says here. Look what we, look what we read in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, sound teaching, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So Paul tells Titus that you must appoint people who are mature, sound in the faith, so that they might teach what is true, but also to refute what is false. I had a teacher in seminary who says, man, I feel sorry for you pastors because it seems like more and more there's new false teachings that are creeping into the church. And so, you know, there's more and more false teachings, false cults that are, that are teaching that they are the way, the truth. And that's not the case. I remember when we were, uh, when Brother Dennis and I were in Louisville, we were on our way downtown to the a big area where there's lots of restaurants and there was false teachers right there on the street passing out literature, telling others that their way was the true way, and it clearly was not. So heresy and false teaching may be closer than you think, whether it be through Joseph Smith and the Mormons, Charles Russell and Jehovah's Witnesses, or other groups that may be less subtle. 
Tim Challies talks about those who distort the truth with tickling our ears, speculating about strange teachings, abusers, dividers. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says. Uh, a little bit later on in 1 Timothy, we read this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So here, I think about the false uh, teachers, the prosperity gospel, and other people who divide others and uh, make up things that are not according to sound teaching. So here we see Titus say, we must have elders who hold firm to the trustworthy word. They are to exercise oversight, teach what is true, and set a good example for the church to follow. So it's important to note that elders are not just leading through their teaching. They are leading in disciple-making. Elders are to make other disciples. They're to train disciples, even raise up other elders. So as we think about elders and what they do, they are to teach, but they also are to care for the sheep. They're to serve them, and they are to develop them as leaders. So in short, implementing elders is not just about adding more shepherds. It's about caring for the sheep, growing in terms of discipleship, and ultimately about obeying the authority of Christ. So this is my sermon on 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in short version. I think I did pretty good. I ran through it quickly. Um, maybe, it, maybe not. Maybe I left lots of questions. But the reason why I ran through it quickly is partly because I think you've heard this before. That doesn't mean we don't need to be reminded but I went through it quickly so that we might maybe address some questions that come regarding elders. Um, there's been questions that have come to me, and if there's uh, questions you might have, I encourage you to approach me. Again, I, I think I'm pretty patient and gentle. and uh, Or email me. Maybe it's a more difficult question that you, you'd be better just emailing me. Um, I'd love to talk about those questions in the upcoming weeks. So for now, I'm going to try to address five questions in five-ish minutes. Um, so here are my five questions. Maybe these are ones you thought of, maybe not. So one question I've heard of, some might be inclined to say, well, we are a small church. Can we, can we afford this? Now, money is obviously uh, something we must deal with, and it is a motivating factor in almost every decision, but money can't be what ultimately determines how we make decisions in the church. While we would be honoring and paying another elder it would not be at the same level that the lead elder would be compensated because of obviously the difference in hours between the lead elder and the other elders. Some people call them lay elders who have other jobs, other occupations. But in some churches I've been a part in, the other elders weren't compensated at all. Maybe they didn't want to receive anything because they felt it was part of their calling. Perhaps there was another reason. Regardless, I think it's biblical and good to compensate elders for the work that they do, just like we compensated Brother Justin. Although he didn't want anything, we still gave him something and felt we probably should have gave him more. We, I know we should have given him more. So whether the elder is working five hours or 45 hours or 55 hours a week, 
it is good to compensate the elders. Now, some people say, how can you, how can an elder lead God's church when they already have another job? That is a good question. Let me leave you with this quote by Alexander Strzok. This is, this is, wow, I didn't mean for it to be that bold, but, uh, uh, you can, you can still see it. So, um, Strzok says this, this is just phenomenal. He says, some people say you can't expect laymen to raise their families, work all day, and shepherd a local church. But that is simply not true. Many people raise families, work, and give substantial hours of time to community service, clubs, athletic activities, and or religious institutions. The cults, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, have built up large lay movements that survive primarily because of the volunteer time of their members. We, Bible-believing, Christ-following Christians, are becoming a lazy, soft, pay-for-it-to-be-done group of Christians. It is positively amazing how much people can accomplish when they are motivated to work for something they love. I've seen people build and remodel houses in their spare time. I've also seen men discipline themselves to gain a phenomenal knowledge of the Scriptures. The real problem then lies not in men's limited time and energy, but in false ideas about work, Christian living, life's priorities, and especially Christian ministry. I'll just leave that there. Number two, we are a small church. Do we need to add multiple elders? Good question. While we may be small in number, there are more ministry needs than you may be aware of. This doesn't imply that we're falling apart. So don't look around saying, what is going on? But it does describe that there's a battle that rages within our hearts and within our homes. There are great needs for pastoral care in our midst, and we would pay dearly if we focused on de-weeding our flower beds while allowing sinful roots to flourish in our hearts. So just as one person may have multiple doctors to care for them, uh, they may have a general practitioner, an eye doctor, a specialist, a nutritionist, that's just four, it's important to have multiple shepherds to care for the sheep. Pastoral care is more than hospital visits. I'm looking for Justin to say amen. He'll say amen in spirit. It is counseling, disciple-making, mentoring, mourning, shepherding, training, rejoicing. If the early church had multiple elders, we should as well. We are not more sophisticated. We need shepherds who can lead, train, and send us because our sphere of influence is even larger than theirs was. So again, multiple elders would be good. Number three, we have trouble finding qualified men to serve serve as deacons. If we implemented elders, wouldn't that make our job harder? It's like people say, well... I can see, I can do math, uh, this is going to make things more difficult. But we must remember, our job is not to just fill positions. It is not to just plug someone into a hole or vacancy. While it is a joy, a joy to have six deacons who serve, if we only had two qualified men to serve as deacons, we would operate with two. Faithfulness is the goal, not filled positions. So just as a church can function without a lead pastor or elder, it can function without multiple elders for a time. It can cause conflict, create heavy burdens, and allow for more chaos without elders to shepherd and to lead. When Paul told Titus to appoint multiple elders in every church, Titus didn't say, but we're a church plant. 
or I don't know who to pick, or we don't have enough leaders. I could see Paul saying, well then, train up some leaders. <laughs> and that's what we're called to do. We are called to train up leaders. Number four, how would having elders impact our deacons? This is a great question. Thank you for asking it, Brother Jared. Um, I'll just throw him under the bus. Um, I, I have seen churches operate without a plurality of elders, but have also even heard of churches that operate without deacons. I'm saying both are bad. Both are unhealthy. And so both situations are not good. In my view, according to Scripture, there should be multiple elders and multiple deacons. Multiple elders, multiple deacons who work together for a common goal. When we look at 1 Timothy 3, we see the list. The main difference is elders are to teach. Deacons are to focus on serving. So obviously we don't have in Acts chapter 6, there was uh, needs there for the widows. We don't have uh, widows that are not getting their daily needs met. But we do have opportunities for deacons to serve the church body in numerous ways. There's, these include maintenance, administration, and benevolence. This allows the elders to focus on preaching, prayer, and pastoral care. Number five, what benefit would we see from switching to this type of leadership structure? As I've said before, in some ways there would be very little change, but in other ways there would be some change. And, and I want to, I want to submit to you, it'd be more of a restructuring, a more of a reorganization. I believe it is biblical and beneficial to have another elder or two at Haven as we care for the body of believers here. It would serve us well if we restructured the way our committees operate. Many organizations, teams, or businesses restructure in order to accomplish their goals, to carry out their vision. What is our vision? Our vision is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Disciples seek the kingdom of God by treasuring Jesus Christ in all areas of life. So in order to carry out this vision, we must have elders and deacons who are working together. We have, I don't want, you know, we have deacons here amongst us. I don't want them to think, well, does Pastor Steve think I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing? No, we have wonderful deacons, and, but I want to make sure that they are not stepping over each other and doing the same tasks. We could easily match interests and gifting with roles and responsibilities that pertain to various areas. Here's just six possible positions that we could fill through the people we already have serving as deacons. There's the deacon of benevolence, a deacon of member care, the deacon of technology and sound, the deacon of hospitality, the deacon of outreach, and the deacon of ushers. So these are just some ways that we can help in accomplishing our vision. So I'm not going to use this time to outline what each of these deacons would do under the particular category, but I believe a restructuring of the roles we already have would ensure more ministry to the members of our congregation and more outreach to our community. As we serve together, we mature together. As we mature together, we glorify God together. I want to encourage us with a passage as I close from 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4 reminds us of who we are as the body of Christ. It says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life 
and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Amen. Let us pray.